Greetings. I am Agent Ash, head speaker near for Mr. Eerie. I'm delighted you've joined me for this audio training installment from Mr. Eerie's Empty Book of Everything. If you're unfamiliar with the Empty Book, or how Mr. Eerie's anti-invisible soda pops work, please consider listening to the Eerie and Listy audio episode entitled Bottle Number 14, Off to a Grape Start. Or if you are hungry, you should play the Enlisty episode entitled Bottle Number 132, Marinara Wirinara. Both of these training experiences will serve you well on your journey toward agentdom. Now that we are all on the same page, it's of the utmost importance that we discuss hot air balloons. Well, one hot air balloon in particular. You see, if this were the actual empty book, which it's not, instead of an audio resource, which it is, you'd see that many revealed pages in the empty book of everything contain full-color illustrations, schematics, and theme park maps. Those of a curious nature might be wondering who creates these illustrations and how you might join their ranks. The League of a Thousand Words is the rendering guild responsible for all the images in the empty book. Their numbers are few, and new applicants are always interviewed via a hot air balloon. There are several anti-invisible soda pop bottles that reveal information related to the League of a Thousand Words, but today's training audio is not about any of them, as delicious and informative as they are. Today, we will be talking about the gold-capped bottle number 929 entitled Bobbing Barrels. And not so much about what that bottle reveals, but more a cautionary tale for those who choose to implement its content. Here to read this dire warning for all Bobbing Barrel users is Agent Blackwing, the third word from the League of a Thousand Words. Greetings. I am Agent Blackwing. I'm an artist, not much of an off-the-cuff speaker, so I'll spare you an introduction and get right to the account of Ellsworth. Ellsworth Dramble gasped. I'm late. I can't believe it. It's the most important day of an artist's life and I'm going to be late for it. His wild hair seemed to dance with his pounding heart as he sprinted through South Gloom's twisted streets. Stacked brick houses and alleyways paved with cobbles sped past him in a blur. But Ellsworth didn't mind. He'd sketched every inch of South Gloom and knew it by heart. As he raced out of town, the best of these illustrations were tucked under his arm bound in a leather drawing journal. Past South Gloom proper, a vast countryside opened up. Fields and forests spread out like a poorly made quilt. Ellsworth recited the directions he'd been given, making sure they stayed fresh in his head. Down 2nd Main Street, past the laundromat, over the tracks, through the woods and under the bridge into the tree trunk. Easy enough, thought Ellsworth, except the tree trunk bit, but he assumed that would make sense once he got there. Following a narrow path through the woods, the hurried artist made his way under a tunnel along a trickle of a creek until the famed oak appeared. This must be it, he whispered, looking at a large tree trunk with an opening in its base, just large enough for an Ellsworth to squeeze through. So, this is the entrance to the balloon field, Ellsworth said, stepping closer to the tree. The legendary interview grounds for the League of a Thousand Words is right through there. 
and so is my future. Ellsworth stepped through the oak's opening. It was dark inside the tree and cold. He felt stone steps and was glad they were spaced like all the other stairs in gloom, or he might have tripped trying to navigate them in the dark. Soon Ellsworth saw sunlight and he walked toward it. When he exited the tree, he saw a circular field of lawful grass spreading out under the sky. Majestic trees, with their towering trunks and dense foliage, formed a protective ring around the field's perimeter. Their intertwined branches acted as nature's shield, guarding the area from gusty winds. And there in the center of the field was his dream, a hot air balloon. Its envelope was inflated, and a whimsical skull marked its side, softened by two white daisies. There it is, said Ellsworth, the interview balloon of the League of a Thousand Words. He adjusted his shirt and made a quick inventory of his supplies. One drawing journal? Check. One tumble of colored oil drawing pencils? Check. One magnifying glass for fine details? Check. Ellsworth, content with his interview preparedness, made his way towards the giant black balloon. As he approached, the field was filled with a deafening roar that sounded like a mighty bear stirring from a deep sleep. He looked above the balloon's gondola and saw the source of the sound, a giant burner striped in black and white. Below it, a gloved hand pulled on something. Ellsworth tried not to run toward the balloon, fearing that might make him look too eager to join the league. So, he walked casually even though he was late and didn't want to look like he wasn't aware of that fact. At the balloon he was met by a young woman wearing a black dress with a wide collar of polka dots. She introduced herself as Agent Anne, the fifth word. A tall gentleman stood next to her in the balloon's basket, with a leather-gloved hand grasping a cord connected to the balloon's burner. And this is Agent Blackwing, she said, then added, the third word. Nice to make your acquaintance. I'm Ellsworth Dramble, said Ellsworth, and I do apologize for my lateness. Agent Blackwing chuckled as he roared the burner. You're not late, he said. Perfectly on time, in fact. Ellsworth nodded. My teacher says on time is late and early is on time. The man raised an eyebrow. Nonsense. If early were on time, then how would anyone ever get ahead of schedule? Ellsworth shrugged. Agent Anne unlatched a small wicker gate on the balloon's gondola and motioned for Ellsworth to climb aboard. When we are no longer touching the ground, your interview will begin, she said. Ellsworth saluted and immediately recognized it was too grand a gesture for the occasion. As Ellsworth Dramble stepped into the hot air balloon's gondola, his heart teeter-tottered between a jumble of joy and jitters. But soon the burner roared, the basket whined, and a second later, Ellsworth and the two agents rose into the air outside of gloom. Ellsworth tipped his head, trying to peek over the gondola's edge. Agent Anne nodded in a way that let him know it was safe and proper for him to look over the basket's edge. 
Below the balloon was the patchwork of gloom's outskirts. The town itself was covered in a lumpy grey fog and hard to see. In the distance, much farther than Ellsworth or anyone he knew had ever travelled, Ellsworth could see triangular peaks fading into the sky. The Nevermores, he said. Agent Anne nodded. Indeed. May I ask if you've ever climbed them? asked Ellsworth. Agent Anne smiled. Impossible to reach by foot, she said, and very little they're worth sketching. Agent Blackwing cleared his throat and then spoke several official-sounding sentences that signaled the start of the interview. As the balloon rose, Ellsworth answered questions about lines, shapes, forms, values, space, colors, and textures. He felt he was doing well. At least he'd taken the grunts of agreement coming from Agent Blackwing as a good sign. After the questions, Agent Anne held out her hands, which were gloved in the same polka-dotted pattern as her collar. May we see your journal? With shaky hands, Ellsworth handed over his leather-bound book of drawings. I see you left the last page blank, said Agent Anne. Ellsworth smiled. He'd read the League's Guide to Good Sketching and knew that they insisted every artist leave the last page of their journal blank, a symbol that an illustrator's work is never finished and their journal never complete. Both agents studied the pages of Ellsworth's journal. Oils, murmured Agent Blackwing, pausing. Quality ones, but thick. The tone is excellent, said Agent Anne. Yes, said Agent Blackwing, but thick, borderline greasy. They'd burn on the plains of Kettle. The agents continued looking through the illustrations. Ellsworth was so intent on hearing the critiques that he failed to notice the balloon had landed. I admire your technique and the life in your strokes, said Agent Blackwing, handing the journal back to Ellsworth. Every illustration has remarkable form and textbook texture. Agent Anne put her hand on Ellsworth's shoulder. His heart sank. He could feel it was the soft hand of consolation, not one of congratulations. We are looking for something that sets your work apart, she said. You have the skill but not the experience to contribute odd or unusual images to the empty book. Your extraordinary drawings are of that which we all have seen, and you lack the experience showing you know the difference between wonderful and extraordinary. Ellsworth felt an encouraging pat on his back and looked up to see Agent Blackwing holding the gondola door open. Come see us when you've captured the simple essence of something unbelievable. Back on the ground, Ellsworth stepped out of the balloon. His heart felt heavy, but he understood the League's comments. A flurry of legendary things raced through his mind. He turned back to the balloon to share with the agents his plans to sketch them all and return soon for another interview. But the balloon was gone, the sound of the burner easing into the distance. Ellsworth's steps weighed heavy on the streets of gloom. His dream of joining the League still pulsed strong, but at the moment he felt like a balloon that had just had the air let out of it. I need something amazing in my journal, said Ellsworth. Maybe a butter tie. He thought for a moment. The bow ties made of butter were rare but also sort of one note, both in terms of colour and flavour. Ellsworth ran through more of his ideas. What about an anti-lantern? 
Ellsworth chuckled, nearly impossible to sketch seeing as they absorb all surrounding light. Just then, a cold breeze blew through the streets of gloom, and Ellsworth felt a drop of rain land on his head. The sudden change in weather caused him to skip to the last idea on his list. A grizzle mist, he said. That's it. That'll get me into the league. No one has seen one, and no one has drawn one. And he was right. The empty book of everything had a note on the grizzle mist. The legendary half-bear, half-cloud, whose growl could change the seasons. But its status was listed as unconfirmed. Its location was said to be the unreachable peaks called the Nevermores, because there was never any more information about them. Additionally, there was no image accompanying the text. The grizzle mist, said Ellsworth. It's perfect, but how to get there? Just then, Ellsworth's stomach did some growling of its own. It didn't change the weather, but it did make him change his focus temporarily to food. Ellsworth turned into a narrow side lane, spotting the old second Main Street laundromat. His clothes were perfectly clean, but he entered anyway. Moving through the laundromat, he passed by old washers and dryers that looked more like tumblers for smoothing rocks than machines meant for drying clothes. In gloom, drying clothes seemed almost laughable. It was always damp outside. That's probably why each dryer was topped with a few sheets of wax paper. Ellsworth figured the people of gloom used them to wrap their clothes protecting them from the persistent fog as they headed home. From his pocket, he pulled two silver enlistee tokens, each with a skull on them. At the back of the laundromat, Ellsworth dropped the tokens into a large white metal vending machine with silver latches for selecting which box of detergent you'd like to purchase. He chose the ripe and ready option, but instead of soap, the white metal box clicked open revealing an opening behind the vending machine that led to a narrow alleyway. Ellsworth walked down the alley to a small brick courtyard. Above, clotheslines draped to capacity blocked the view of the fog which was blocking the view of the sky. Glowing lanterns hung at each corner, their wavering light revealed a tall counter made of fruit crates, labels with names like Picatrill's Pretty Plump Peaches, Salvatos's Salt Squash, and Rucker's Tuckered Plums decorated the crates. Ellsworth had always enjoyed looking at the snack labels of gloom. They weren't league quality, but they were interesting. Now, Ellsworth wondered if that would be his artistic fate, drawing snack labels for Mr. Erie's secret snack alleys. A man with a big moustache and a striped apron stood behind the counter. Recognising Ellsworth, he smiled. Welcome in Listy Dramble. What can I get you? His voice was warm, if not a tad gravelly. What's fresh today? Ellsworth asked. The man replied, Everything at Mr. Erie's ripe and ready good snack cubby is fresh. But the apples, well, we just got them in this morning. The man pointed to a crate of apples stacked against the brick walls of the courtyard. Ellsworth walked to the corner where the crates of fresh apples were stacked. The labels immediately caught his eye. There were apples from Kettle Plains with a label depicting five apples in a circle, ones named Regret Apples, 
with a label showing five apples in a line, reminiscent of rolling stock behind a train, and a unique batch from the Never Orchard, with apples arranged in a star-like pattern. Selecting an apple from the display, Ellsworth chose the shiniest and heaviest one, its skin smooth and cold to the touch. He buffed it on his shirt until it gleamed brightly under the market's lights. Thanks, said Ellsworth, as he playfully tossed the apple into the air like an ill-prepared juggler. See you tomorrow, replied the moustached man. As Ellsworth made his way to the dormitory, he took a deep breath and bit into the apple. Instantly a burst of sweet, tangy juice danced on his taste buds. The scent, a perfect blend of autumn and freshness, filled his nostrils. The apple was cold and crisp, the juice dripping down his chin, rejuvenating him with every bite. But after a couple more blissful bites, his teeth met something hard and smooth, so different from the soft flesh of the apple. What in the world? Ellsworth exclaimed, holding the apple up to the light. A glint reflected off an object embedded within the fruit. Well, would you look at that? He mumbled, his mouth full of apple chunks. After a few careful placed bites, he extracted the object. To his astonishment, it was a bottle of anti-invisible soda pop, the kind meant for Mr. Eerie's empty book of everything. And it wasn't just any bottle. Whoa, Ellsworth breathed, his eyes widening with wonder. It's a gold cap, one of the rarer types of empty book revealing bottles. The discovery filled him with excitement and possibility, and he couldn't wait to get back to his book to see what content the bottle revealed. Ellsworth reached his dorm and climbed up the winding stairs with a sense of purpose. The familiar scent of old wood and polished floors greeted him as he entered his room. He placed the bottle on his desk beside a lamp and retrieved his prized copy of The Empty Book of Everything, its pages waiting to be filled with untold mysteries. The bottle from the apple felt cool to his touch, its gold cap glistened under the lamplight. Labelled as number 929, its title read, Bobbing Barrels. Curiosity mounting, he twisted it open, releasing an aroma that reminded him of autumn festivals, mixing apple and caramel. He couldn't resist taking a sip. The first gulp was pure joy, sweet, effervescent, and filled with the surprise of flavours he'd never experienced. Delicious, Ellsworth said. I should drink it all. But then he remembered... He needed at least half to reveal all the contents on a page. Leave at least half, he reminded himself before taking one last sip. He looked at the bottle and wondered if it was at least half full. He'd overdone it, he thought, taken too big or too many sips. Maybe. The only way to truly know was to spill it on a page. So he lifted the bottle, pouring the remaining contents onto an empty page of his empty book. The page eagerly absorbed the soda with each drop causing tiny ripples. Before his very eyes, the once blank page began to swirl with colours, illustrations of trees taking shape, their leaves rustling and growing, transforming into words and pictures. From what Ellsworth could see, Bottle 929 revealed information about Mr. Eerie's apple-bobbing barrels, which apparently served as unusual modes of transportation between locations given one knew how to arrange the apples in the barrel in a specific pattern. 
To confirm one's destination, they could simply stick their head into the barrel and see an image of where they'd be traveling to. This allowed for fine-tuning your destination if several barrels existed in the same area. Twist an apple like a lolly knob and make sure you know where you're going before full immersion. Another detail that stood out was that no matter how you used it, you always arrived at your destination drenched. However, Ellsworth's heart sank a bit when he noticed the words toward the bottom of the page were faded and impossible to read. Make sure you... And that was it. The words just trailed off, making him wish he had been a bit more conservative with his sips earlier. Still, excitement bubbled within him. Even if it's not the full page, it's a plenty good start, he thought. A newfound hope rose in his voice as he mused aloud. Could the barrels at Ripe and Ready Snack Alley be the key to him joining the League? Could they possibly take him to the land of the Grizzle Mist? The mere idea sent shivers down his spine. If he was to make his mark, it was time to go bobbing for apples. There aren't many places to get apples in gloom, and even fewer that may have barrels suitable for bobbing. Naturally, Mr. Eerie's snack alley came to mind. Ellsworth packed up his journal, pencils, magnifying glass, and walked back to the laundromat. As he approached the back wall where the white metal vending machine was, he noticed that the ripe and ready detergent button now displayed an out-of-order indicator. From his training, he knew this simply meant the snack alley was closed for the day. However, he hoped he could still enter the courtyard and see if the apple crates with the patterns on them were still there. Inserting two tokens into the vending machine, Ellsworth was met with a small clank and a loud click. The door to the alley then swung open. Ellsworth stepped inside. The once vibrant, snack-filled alleyway now looked nearly abandoned. The counter which had once been overseen by the moustached snack seller, was deserted. It's sort of eerie at night, Ellsworth mused, his heart beating with a mix of excitement and apprehension. Taking a moment to survey the alley, Ellsworth noticed that while the apple crates remained, they were empty. The makeshift shelves, fashioned from old wagon parts and staircases that earlier displayed an array of candy and bags of crisps, were also barren. There's got to be a barrel around here, said Ellsworth. How else would they get fresh fruit to a gloom-filled alley? Ellsworth turned his attention to the counter made of fruit crates and positioned himself behind it. He pictured himself as the moustached man, selling snacks to Mr. Eerie's agents in training. Think of all the stories you'd hear, said Ellsworth. Then he had a more sombre thought. The realization that he didn't want to hear stories. He wanted to draw them, and the only way to do that was to find something amazing that would impress the League. As Ellsworth left the counter area, he bumped into something low and sturdy. Ouch, said Ellsworth. What was that? He peered below the counter into the shadow created by its ledge. There sat a wooden barrel. Ellsworth squatted down to investigate. It was different from other barrels he'd seen crafted from ornate wood staves and held together with hand-hammered iron hoops. The barrel lacked a traditional label, but on its side, painted at the bottom in stenciled lettering, was the number 929. 
A bobbing barrel, exclaimed Ellsworth. I can't believe it. It's a real-life bobbing barrel. He knew no one was in the alleyway, but still, he glanced around to make sure he wasn't being watched. Then, drawn by an irresistible urge, Ellsworth pried off the barrel's lid. To his astonishment, the barrel was filled with water, but not just any water. It shimmered and sparkled, emitting a soft glow that illuminated the edges of the wood container. Floating in the barrel were five apples that shimmered like oil on wet pavement. This is it. This is my chance, said Ellsworth. The apples inside the barrel floated along the edges in no particular arrangement. Ellsworth moved them around with his fingers. They were heavy, much heavier than the apples he'd eaten or dipped in caramel. However, they moved freely when nudged, but held their position when they came to a floating rest. Ellsworth recalled the directions from Bottle 929 and sought a map or indicator of how the apples should be arranged to allow travel. His gaze landed on the empty fruit crates in the back, and he remembered the patterns on the labels of the various farms. I'm going to find a grizzle mist, he stated. But where should I start looking, he said, examining the labels on the empty apple crates. The Kettle Plains label, depicting five apples in a circle, and seemed to be located in the nosy underlands. Not there, said Ellsworth. The regret apples had an image of a train station and Ellsworth knew it as the one downtown. Not there either, said Ellsworth, figuring if a weather-changing bear had been on the regret a passenger would have noticed it by now, and tickets for the train wouldn't be so heavily discounted. Then he looked at the label for the Never Orchard. Its apples were arranged in a star shape beneath images of towering peaks. The Nevermores, said Ellsworth. Of course, the Never Orchard must be at the base of Nevermore Mountains. Committed to the star pattern, Ellsworth walked back to the barrel and moved the apples into position. Then, placing his hands on opposite ends of the barrel, Ellsworth submerged his head into the water. A kaleidoscopic array of caustic lights danced around the barrel's inner wood before stabilizing into an image. It's like peering through a window made of rippled glass, thought Ellsworth. He observed an apple orchard and a farmhouse nestled in a valley of trees at the base of the mountains. Confidently, he believed them to be the Nevermores. With a push, he withdrew his head. Water dripped from his head onto his hands and boots. But Ellsworth didn't notice. He was stunned by what he'd just witnessed. It works, he announced. I could see it. A farmhouse. The bobbing barrels truly work. His excitement was soon replaced by doubt for Ellsworth knew a grizzle mist wouldn't be found at a farmhouse, apple orchard, or anywhere people lurked. Ellsworth remembered the details from the empty page about fine-tuning. A twist of an apple, like adjusting a phonograph, he reasoned. To refine the location, he dipped his head back into the barrel, this time keeping a hand on one of the apples. With a gentle touch, Ellsworth twisted the floating apple to the anti-clockwise. As it turned, the image within the water shifted. He was now looking at a road from inside a wooden gatehouse, its timbers old and worn. The trees surrounding the road seemed more colourful and stood taller than the orchard, their leaves shimmering in an unseen light. Wrong direction, 
Ellsworth thought, a tinge of disappointment creeping in. He carefully twisted the apple clockwise, and the vision shifted again. The familiar sight of the farmhouse emerged, then with another twist it changed to a storage shed perched high above the trees. Another turn and he was presented with a cosy warming hut, nestled even higher amidst the peaks. After several more turns, Ellsworth's eyes widened in awe. What he saw sent a chill of excitement over him, setting his heart racing and his mind buzzing with anticipation. Ellsworth's eyes were inside a shallow cave with a narrow opening. Through the slender slot, he could glimpse the rugged mountainside of the Nevermore Mountains. The barren landscape was devoid of trees, and the rocks outside lacked color, appearing almost monochrome under the cloudy sky. A deep feeling resonated within him. He felt certain that if the elusive grizzle mist existed, it would surely reside up here amidst the colorless clouds, where the world seemed to blend into nothing. Ellsworth withdrew his head from the barrel, the cold water dripping from his hair and chin. His mind raced with preparations for the imminent journey. If I'm going to travel by bobbing barrel, I'll need something to keep my belongings dry, he mused aloud. A sudden realization hit him. The laundromat. He remembered the wax paper the residents of Gloom used to keep their fabrics from falling prey to the damp fog. Rushing back into the laundromat, he kicked open the vending machine door and grabbed a sheet of wax paper and raced back, just as the secret door began to close. After wrapping his journal and pencils, he tucked them into his waistband. With both hands on the barrel, ensuring the apples remained in their pattern, Ellsworth took a deep breath and leaned over the shimmering water. Time to go bobbing, he said. There's no turning back now. With a gentle kick of his feet, Ellsworth lunged forward, tipping headfirst into the bobbing barrel, sinking towards somewhere else. In no more time than it takes to surface from a cannonball jump into Steward's Pond, Ellsworth's head emerged from the barrel. Climbing out, he felt a dampness saturate his clothes. Wiping water from his eyes, he surveyed his surroundings. He was inside a shallow cave, its dim interior contrasting against the bright mountain light outside. Glancing back at the barrel, anxiety gnawed at him. Could he get back? Was it as easy as just climbing back in? Now, more than ever, he'd wished he'd been able to reveal the full contents of Bottle 929. Ellsworth bent over and put his head back into the barrel. Much to his relief, the snack alley was there, unchanged. The understanding that this magical barrel was his gateway back provided a rush of comfort. With renewed determination to sketch a grizzle mist, he took out his drawing supplies. He placed the magnifying glass into his shirt pocket and unwrapped his journal and pencils from the wax paper. Stepping out of the cave, he found himself on a barren mountainside. There were no trails or vegetation, just patches of rocks and boulders. Should make spotting the bear easier, Ellsworth mused. There's nothing here for it to blend in with. His eyes searched the landscape below for Gloom City. However, it remained hidden from sight. He felt an overpowering sense of isolation, a stark reminder of the distance a single barrel could transport someone. 
Contrasting with the coolness of his earlier balloon ride, the Nevermore's environment was scorching and arid. Concern grew as he thought about his oil pencils. They might melt in this heat or worse become a flammable mess, said Ellsworth. He touched his now dry clothes, remarking, I won't last long here. It's too hot, and the only water source is back in that barrel. He was also unsure about the water's safety for drinking, or how much was required for its travelling properties to work. A surge of fear overcame him as he debated abandoning his quest. Under this blazing nevermore sun, he contemplated, could a grizzle mist or anything for that matter survive? Deciding he might try another time, he said, I know where the bobbing barrel is. I should return later, better prepared, with water and a really big hat. But just then, out of nowhere, his thoughts were interrupted by a troubling sound. To Ellsworth it sounded like oversized bowling balls tumbling down wooden stairs. What in Paul's meatballs was that? he exclaimed. As the rumbling grew, pebbles began to shift and roll downhill in and around his feet. It has to be a grizzle mist, he thought. Clutching his sketchbook and pencils, Ellsworth quickly found a recess beneath some boulders and tucked himself away out of the path of tumbling rocks or hungry bears. He was scared, but the prospect of a significant artistic discovery had him grinning with anticipation. The rumbling intensified, echoing around Ellsworth as he pushed further back into the boulders. The overhang provided some semblance of safety, but he couldn't shake the fear of being buried beneath a rock slide. Is this what it takes? he wondered. To be in the league must you put yourself at the edge of safety. He wished it wasn't so, but he knew it was he who'd decided to seek out the grizzle mist. It wasn't due to any pushing or urging from Agent Blackwing or Anne. It's too late now, he thought. Might as well sketch what I can. Determinedly, he arranged his drawing supplies, poised to capture whatever came next. The noise grew almost deafening. Then the atmosphere around him shifted abruptly. A thick fog emerged, wrapping the landscape in a wispy embrace. Swirling clouds formed patterns, as if playing with the sky. Ellsworth noticed the pebbles beneath his feet jostling, some of them hovering in the air, as though gravity itself had become uncertain. From within the mists, a form began to take shape. Wispy forms combined to create a massive shape. It became dense like a cloud, then thickened to what looked like tightly packed cotton candy. Ellsworth's heart thudded as he realized he was witnessing the appearance of the legendary grizzle mist. Seconds later, the clouds lifted, revealing a fierce yet fluffy animal towering just beyond Ellsworth's hiding nook. Its stature rivaled that of a locomotive. Its fur was pristine, reminiscent of fresh snowfall, and moved like white lilies on a swirling sea. A grizzle mist! Ellsworth gasped, breathing for the first time in what felt like minutes. He was so entranced by the bear that he forgot all about drawing. Looking down at his journal, he was surprised to see his hands were already sketching. Artist's instinct had taken over. While Ellsworth's mind was processing the presence of the grizzle mist, his heart had already been busy rendering it on a page. 
As Ellsworth watched the grizzle mist, he captured each of the bear's gestures and every nuance of its being. His work was more than a mere sketch. It was a symphony of oil, capturing the raw power and majesty of the beast. A minute later, the beast's form became cloudy, and it shifted across the rocks, moving almost out of sight. Ellsworth felt the urge to pursue it, wanting to spring forward from his hiding spot and chase after the bear. But his survival instincts kicked in. Deep down, he knew it was time to leave and find his way back from this enchanting yet perilous realm. Ellsworth stepped out from his hiding spot and took one last look at the disappearing bear. Thinking of the cave, he ran, eager to show the League his most worthy drawings. In his mind, he saw himself in the hot air balloon floating high over gloom, proudly showing his discovery to Agent Blackwing. He imagined the members giving him the pin of pallets and his very first journal of many words. These thoughts made Ellsworth run faster hopping over rocks and jumping from one boulder to another. But just as he got close to the cave, he tripped. His sketchbook flew out of his hands, landing open under the bright Nevermore's sun. Getting up quickly, Ellsworth raced to his book. The drawings of the big white bear sparkled under the sunlight. Phew! Ellsworth sighed with relief. They're okay. They're protected, packed with oil, he continued remembering Agent Blackwing's words about his drawings being too thick. That sun won't ruin these grizzle mist drawings. Suddenly a big shadow fell over him. The air turned chilly, and he felt a wind blowing around him. Looking up, he saw the giant grizzle mist bear staring down at his sketchbook. Picking it up, Ellsworth slowly backed towards the cave. But as he was almost there, the bear let out a loud roar. The bright sky quickly turned grey with thick clouds that swirled around like wispy grey mountains wrestling in the sky. Snowflakes started to fall, but they quickly turned bigger and thicker, almost meatball-sized. Ellsworth felt the ground getting slippery as he heard the crackling of ice forming. It's freezing, he shouted, feeling the cold biting his skin. Ellsworth rushed towards the cave's entrance, trying to catch his breath. But when he got inside, his heart sank. The barrel, his way back to gloom, was frozen. At least the top few inches were. The apples inside were trapped in thick layer of ice. Ellsworth pounded on it, carefully not to disturb the apples, but it was no use. The bobbing barrel now had a lid of ice as strong as iron and just as cold. Ellsworth felt a deep sense of unease. He was stuck in a cave in the Nevermore, with no way home and an angry grizzle mist just outside. Ellsworth sat in the cave, a growing unease settling in. How would he find his way home? Every so often the distant howl of the grizzle mist bear would echo, making his heart race. I wish it'd go away, said Ellsworth. I wish I'd never seen it, never sketched it. The biting cold made Ellsworth's fingers numb. He shivered feeling as though he was trapped in a never-ending winter. As despair grew, Ellsworth thought maybe if he just closed his eyes and slept, this nightmare would end. But something jabbed him in the side. 
It was his magnifying glass, which he usually used for examining fine details of a drawing. He took it out of his pocket and set it beside him. Just as he was about to drift off, he felt a fleeting warmth on an exposed part of his leg. A small ray of sunlight had broken through the clouds and was shining near the cave's entrance. It wasn't enough to light up the cave, but seeing it made a daring idea bloom in his head. Memories of his early days as an artist flooded back. He recalled when he was first learning to draw bugger lumps, he'd often examine them under the glass, marveling at their intricate designs. But he had to be extremely cautious. More than once, he'd accidentally focused the sun's rays too intently and nearly burnt the tiny creatures. Now, in the dark cold of the cave, the idea seemed both absurd and brilliant. Harness the beam of light to melt the ice. Ellsworth held the magnifying glass up, trying to catch the slender beam. He adjusted the angle, trying to get the beam focused on the barrel but he couldn't get it anywhere near it. Then he tried to move the barrel, but it was frozen in place. Frustration set in, but then a new, slightly terrifying, yet wonderful idea struck him. What if he could use the intensified beam of light to ignite the oil pencils? If he could get the focus just right, he might create a flame large enough to use as a torch to warm the barrel. It was a wild idea. But in the depths of the cave with the grizzle-mist bear lurking nearby, a wild idea was his only chance at survival. Ellsworth raised the magnifying glass, trying to catch the sun's ray on his pencil. His cold fingers struggled with the glass. He sighed in frustration. Then an idea struck him. The sunbeam was brighter just outside the cave. Inching just outside, he angled the glass. Hope surged as the pencil caught a spark, and the oily tips grew aflame. But his joy faded. The grizzle mist's eerie howl echoed, making the sunbeam disappear. Quickly he went back inside, gripping the burning pencil tightly and shielding it with his hand. Ellsworth held it over the barrel, above the ice, between the apples, and its warmth began melting the ice. Small pools of water formed, but Ellsworth could tell the pencils would burn away before the ice melted. He thought of using his clothes as fuel. Would it be enough? But he dropped the idea. Without clothes, he'd freeze if things went wrong, and even if it worked, he wasn't about to walk back through gloom with nothing but a sketchbook. The grizzle mist could be heard just outside the cave, and its breath threatened the pencil's flame. Ellsworth had to act quick. He needed more fuel and fast. He looked at his journal. They were thick with oils. There's no other choice, he said, ripping several pages free. One by one he placed his art on the ice and lit them with his pencils. He watched them burn and melt the barrier of ice. When Ellsworth got to the images of the grizzle mist sketches, he paused. Those drawings represented his dreams, and now they were about to go up in smoke. Ellsworth lit them and placed them on the ice. They burned fiercely, melting through the barrier. All that work, gone, he thought. A second later, the apples broke free from the ice and bobbed just as they had when Ellsworth had first arrived. He blew out his pencils 
before the flames reached his bare hands. Ellsworth stood cold in the middle of the cave, holding a journal with nothing but an empty page. Seconds later, just as Ellsworth was about to plunge into the bobbing barrel, he heard a long, soft roar. It was the grizzle mist, but its tone had changed. Light flooded into the cave, and Ellsworth heard birds just outside. He peeked his head out of the cave and saw the side of the mountain covered in patches of green grass. The boulders were bathed in pastel light. The grizzle mist looked at Ellsworth and his journal. Ellsworth felt a bond with the creature, and he understood something he'd never before considered. Some things should remain uncaptured. Some things are just for the moment they are observed. Not everything must be drawn or photographed. Some things are for enjoying only when they are. The grizzle mist bowed its head and turned to cotton, then to clouds, then to mist, then to air. It was spring in the mountains of the Nevermore. Ellsworth sat on a rock and enjoyed the view. In the distance, maybe a hundred miles away, he thought he saw gloom. Then below his feet, in the middle of a patch of grass, a tiny flower sprung up. It was no bigger than a clover. Ellsworth retrieved his magnifying glass and studied it. It had four petals, each one emitting the brightest colors of the season. Winter's petal combined snowy white with streaks of ice blue. Summer's petal shined with bright yellow, fading to warm rings of orange. The autumn petal mixed amber tears with a bed of deep maroon, while spring glowed with a blend of wispy green and dots of new pink. Ellsworth recognized the flower, but it took a moment for the memory to surface. In a distant art lesson, he'd learned of a mythical flower that radiated the purest colors of each season. What was its name again? Ah, yes, the Meribold. With the last page in his journal and the remnants of his pencil, Ellsworth began sketching the legendary flower. As he drew, it seemed as if the Meribold began to grow. When Ellsworth was finished, it was the size of a daisy. Beautiful, he said, packing up his supplies. Ellsworth took one last look at the Nevermore, wrapped his journal, and entered the barrel. He emerged in Snack Alley at night and found his way home without incident. A week later, he was back aboard the hot air balloon, clutching a journal that contained just one drawing. Ellsworth handed it to Agent Anne, who looked at it and handed it to Agent Blackwing. So you encountered the bear, said Agent Blackwing, looking at the drawing. Ellsworth blushed. How did you know? The Meribold. It only blooms when the grizzle mist springs. Ellsworth shifted with unease. It's okay, continued the agent. We've all sought it at some point. It can't be drawn, you know. Some things are too precious to be confined to the page. Ellsworth nodded. I understand. Agent Blackwing smiled. Then you're ready. Welcome to the League of a Thousand Words. And so, that's the story of Bottle 929. 
and the backstory of the artists behind the illustrations of Mr. Eerie's Empty Book of Everything. Given that it's improbable you'll come across an actual empty book, or the unique Bobble Barrels, it's worth uncovering the bit of content that Ellsworth less than half full bottle was unable to reveal. The remainder of the page listed a series of warnings for bobbing barrel travellers. One of these warnings aptly advises travellers to always check the weather of where you're going before leaving where you are. See you in the next chapter.